Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Hi, Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Bobby, how are you? Good, good as always. Gosh, lots of virus stuff. If you like virology, this is like the time to be a virologist. Yes, and the time for me as the chair of the department to make sure I'm fully boned up on my virology. So that's right. So it's good that we have these podcasts. They're educational for me too, I guess. You are an excellent virologist. I'm going to hire you. <laughs> excellent. All right. <laughs> Long-term employment's key for me. That's right. Well, but, I think uh, monkeypox is our biggest virus right now, although COVID's still continuing. And then, of course, there's been the outbreak of polio, and we've had other people not getting their vaccines because of COVID. So there's a lot going on, but I think monkeypox is really the hot topic right now. It sure is, at least in this part of the world. I know that mm-hmm. there's other parts of the world that are really having some COVID struggles, but monkeypox, in some respects, it bears some resemblance to COVID. It's evolving a little bit more in a different timeline, but it has some of the same sorts of, of features to it. It continues to change and, and in terms of the impact it is having on us as a society, I think. Yeah, exactly. It's not that we've never had monkeypox before, but it's always been these small contained outbreaks. Some of our listeners may recall the outbreak in prairie dogs a few years back and some humans got it, but that was really contained and didn't seem to spread. There's no mutations that are fully understood yet, but for some reason, this is different than our previous outbreaks and it's spreading from person to person. We have over 7,500 cases in the U.S. now, which is probably the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. I mean, that is does seem to be different just from prior out. orthopox virus. Exactly. There's now more than 28,000 cases worldwide outside of areas that typically had monkeypox. So it's not just a U.S. issue either. It's really a, a global epidemic. It's not a pandemic, but it's getting to be a global concern. And of course, the U.S. government just declared this as a public health emergency. Yeah, just last week. And I think it brings to mind testing, obviously, right? And what's going to happen with monkeypox testing here it, the you know we along with LabCorp and Quest and Aegis Labs and Sonic all worked with the CDC to bring up their kit. Now Quest has their own lab developed tests that they're using. But in anticipation that we need to do some testing, one of the things that continues to evolve is mm-hmm. how much testing capacity will we need? Because it, at first it was it seemed like it was going to be pretty limited, but now maybe not. Yeah, now we're hearing from other manufacturers that they're looking at bringing up tests. I'm hearing from my colleagues in academic laboratories that they're bringing up lab-developed tests. Now, I should note the public health emergency. I did a little reading over the weekend on this. This occurs under Section 319 of the Public Health Services Act, in case you're interested. It allows health and human services to take actions in response to the emergency. So good news, they can make grants, enter into contracts, they get more resources. But it's different than the emergency use authorization, which is really going to impact us as a laboratory. That is a separate process, but possibly on its way. And if that announcement is made, that means that all tests 
for clinical diagnosis are going to have to go through the emergency use authorization process. Yeah, that's right. I think that's one of the things that I've been hearing uh, that it's likely that the EUA will be issued for the monkeypox testing. So again, just like with COVID, I mean, that if that comes out, that means anyone that's developing a test, if it's not already FDA cleared, and that's one of the advantages of using the CDC kit, but those aren't widely available, mm-hmm. is that it's FDA cleared, labs will have to submit. I think that's probably why FDA is being thoughtful, I guess the best way to put it, trying to balance between having to issue EUA and letting labs bring up the test. But my sense is that they'll probably move in the EUA direction here sometime, maybe even this week. It's just one of the things, and you talked about the manufacturers, you know, one of the other things that's really been a challenge with this is that there is now a CPT code for the monkeypox virus. But if you go back and think about when, with the COVID outbreak and when it hit, they not only got the CPT code, but CMS actually set a reimbursement rate for COVID testing. So it gave both the labs and the manufacturers surety that the test would get paid for and covered. And I think it also mandated that private insurance pay at that rate. So it took a lot of the uncertainty on reimbursement out. So then again, it just allowed all the labs that could move forward and the manufacturers to do so. We might see things like that. Obviously there's big concerns around accessing the right groups that are at risk, you know, and to make sure that patients have access to testing, no matter what their social, economic, or demographic group is. So there's a lot. It's certainly not what we expected, that we'd be going through these same sorts of of debates again. Yes, and I think we can reflect on our experiences with COVID. And if that is anything to guide us, we'll probably see the evolution as we did with COVID testing from the large reference labs to more of the local community labs and then possibly to point of care and at-home testing and then going from the more high-throughput batch testing in your large reference labs to maybe some of the one-at-a-time type tests and then antigen tests. Now, we're nowhere near that, but that will be interesting to see if that's the path we go on. For now, though, like you said, we're facing the basics. Who's going to perform the test? How are we going to get everyone who needs a test access to those tests? How are the tests going to be reimbursed? What are the incentives for manufacturers to produce tests? So we're kind of starting this whole process over again. Yeah. I know it's kind of unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And one of the things though, and because you, you mentioned that with your studying up on policy and procedural issues for HHS, the role of, it's a law that allows the public health emergency to be declared, gives the HHS the ability to do some things it needs to do. I mentioned all that because again, we're hearing about frustration with vaccines access. We're hearing about frustration with test access. All of the agencies that I've had the chance to interact with, and I even had a chance to speak with Dr. Walensky a couple of weeks ago as part of the ACLA board, I mean, everyone wants to do the right thing. I know the White House has been talking about getting testing out there since June. The reality is that these things, unfortunately, because it's very procedural and we do things to make sure that the tests that people get access to, they can be confident in, they take time. And I think one of the things that this will do, monkeypox coming on that really hot on the heels of COVID will lead to a lot of discussions and even some recommendations around how we can work together between the hospital labs and the government labs, the public-private kind of partnerships and the diagnostic manufacturers, because we talked about polio. Unfortunately, if 
it feels like we're going to be in a situation where we need to have some kind of playbook, if you will, about how we're going to respond so we can do things more quickly. Because I think what happens is that there's already a kind of a lull in people's confidence in, in our ability to respond sometime, and this isn't helping. Yeah, I think we've already made some improvements from last time, but I agree we have a long way to go. But I look back to 2009 with the 2009 H1N1, and it was my first year in practice. And I remember just feeling so helpless because there were no tests available. The only tests were in the public health lab, state health labs, and they didn't have the capacity. They're not meant to be high throughput laboratories. We learned a lot during COVID with the CDC making their assays, primers, and probes available. And then now here we are, the CDC is actually proactively reaching out and identifying five labs of which Mayo Clinic is one to provide testing using their assay right off the bat. So clearly we've come a long way since 2009 when there was nothing and then all of the EUA processes. But I think there's still a long way to go in ramping up testing really quickly and having it widely available. Yeah, I think that's right. The fact that we were even comfortable and the CDC was comfortable reaching out to us. And we've already had discussions with FDA. But these things that really, prior to COVID, those conversations, if they happened at all, were very difficult to orchestrate. So I think people can be confident, number one, that we really are, just as a healthcare community, both in the private sector as well as in the public sector, are really trying to rally around this and understand how to get our arms around it. The other thing I would just urge people is to go to trusted sources of information. Now, that's the other thing that's very reminiscent of COVID. Look, there's a lot of things like we don't quite know yet. Why is this outbreak more human-to-human transmission? But there's a lot of things out there about because it can spread as a respiratory pathogen in, in some animals. There's just all kinds of stuff out there. Just make sure you go to a trusted source of information like mayoclinic.org or something else to get the, and the CDC website to get the most accurate information because there's now a lot sprouting out there. At least I've seen, maybe you've seen differently out there. Yeah, no, I would agree. I was going to say mayoclinic.org and the CDC, they even have guidelines for how to prevent infection because as we've said before, it's mostly through close intimate contact. So how do you lower your risk during sex? I mean, there's all sorts of really practical advice on the CDC website that I would highly recommend. Exactly. So, and you know what? More to talk about, I guess. So there you go. Of course. All right. Well, I guess that's enough of monkeypox for today. So until next time, Bill, I will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.